On today's episode, getting you up to speed with recovery. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. First episode of Recovery Month. I am absolutely pumped. I have my notes in front of me. The first episode is going to be a solo episode. And yeah, I have some doozies lined up for you, some real um, <coughs> top notch guests. And I actually, well, at the time of recording, I have interviewed all but one of my planned guests. There were, I think, eight in total. So interviewed seven of them already. And yeah, this is recovery month. If you haven't uh, listened to the previous episodes and been informed, (laughs) we're going to dive into all things recovery. I'll be releasing two episodes a week, one on Tuesday, one on Friday, 7am. That's Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. And I thought I'd kick off this episode with just giving you or getting you up to speed with what we've already learned in the entire podcast. We've almost got to 100 episodes, but in all these past episodes, what our current understanding is around recovery and stress and sleep and that kind of thing. I wanted to have a particular emphasis on sleep today because I already did a past episode with Dr. Amy Bender, who covered so much when it comes to recovery uh, around sleep and the importance of sleep when it comes to the athlete. So rather than getting a guest on again to talk about sleep, I'd rather just spend um, the, and and I guess um, it's a bit easier than just telling you to go back to the last, say, four episodes we have on recovery and just listen to those, get yourself up to speed before we listen to this month. I thought I'd combine everything that we currently know in the past episodes around recovery and then we'll move on to new content episode two and onwards. So, um, yeah, let's summarize the points. Before I do that, who do we have coming up? So next episode, we have Dr. Izzy Smith. She is going to talk about um, the overtrain or under-recovery equation when it comes to either getting injured, getting run down, or losing or diminishing performance. Fantastic um, discussion with Izzy. We then have Simon Wegeriff, who is going to introduce the concept of heart rate variability for recovery. We then have Chris Schneider, who will is a very key researcher into heart rate for recovery. 
during exercise and also during your rest days, what we can understand around heart rate. Then we have the Mac Daddy, Shona Halson. Shona is an Australian who is a researcher and has worked with top athletes when it comes to recovery. I have followed her work for a long period of time and just recently attended a three-hour webinar that she had on recovery. She pops up in the artic- in articles that I read, books that I read around recovery every time. And so it was great to have her on. We had Christy Ashwanden, who is the author of Good to Go, How to Sleep, How to Eat, Sleep and Rest Like a Champion. So her book, which covers tons of science, um, I'll be interviewing her. We then have Carl Foster, who's going to talk around overtraining syndrome. And then I thought I would interview an athlete. And we have Dave Proctor, who I haven't interviewed just yet, but he is an endurance athlete who participates in a, well, he pushes his body. I'll I'll give you that. And I thought it would be nice to have a talk to an athlete around what recovery strategies they have, how they're practically implementing these, what how they feel about certain other strategies, and just getting a, a bit more of a practical st- sense rather than just interviewing a whole bunch of health professionals and researchers in terms of how to recover. So yeah, the other side of the the equation. And then we're going to finish with another solo episode with me talking about what I've learned, give us uh, a bit of a recap, a bit of a summary for the whole entire month. And yeah, I'm putting together those as uh, right now. And uh, I have definitely learned more than I thought I would. Um, so yeah, uh, you guys are going to take get so much out of this whole entire month. So looking forward. I hope you're excited and I'm looking forward to <laughs> delivering it to you. Okay, um, so let's go into the content. Why did I decide to do recovery? Why a recovery month? Why is recovery so important, especially for the recreational athletes out there who aren't competing for their nation, who aren't going to the Olympics, who aren't competing at a top tier? Well, I do have... Um, a passage out of the book Good to Go with Christy Ashwanden that I that really summarized recovery really well. So I'm just going to read that to you and uh, hopefully it illustrates the importance of recovery. So let me just get the book. Hang on. I've got my bookmark here. Okay. So the theory behind training and recovery boils down to this. You stress your body and it responds by fortifying its resources to better handle the stress. You put strain on your muscles when lifting a weight and it fixes this minor damage by reinforcing the muscle fiber so it's stronger for next time. How quickly you rebound from the strain of training by building strength and endurance depends on the amount of stress you experience and the resources you have available to work with. So when it comes to, say, running 5Ks and running a marathon, it will depend how quickly you recover depends on the amount of stress, so that 5K compared to the marathon, and the resources you have available, so the resources you have to recover. Okay, let me continue. Imagine that your body is a house, and training and other stresses are the weather and elements. You begin with a house made of straw, and your first bout of exercise is like a gust of wind. It knocks out a few walls, and so you build them back up. If you have the means, you'll probably build the walls, the new walls, with brick. So this is our uh, getting resources and how resourceful we are when it comes to recovery. When the next bout of exercise comes along, your walls are more resilient 
and this time nothing crumbles. You keep training and as you do, you increase the training load or stress by lifting more weights, running more miles and throwing more pitches. I guess that's baseball. (laughs) This bout of training is a storm, which perhaps breaks a few windows or blows off some roof tiles. Again, you get back out there and fix the damage. And if if your resources aren't already tied up elsewhere, you repair the damage so that the house can withstand even more strain next time. Maybe you replace the single-paned windows with double-paned, or replace the wood shingles with fire-resistant ones. This storm-repair-repeat cycle is like the training cycle, and the way you get fitter, stronger, and faster is by subjecting your body to lots of stress so that it supercompensates. The new focus on recovery recognizes that training is only as good as the recovery that follows it. So you just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow can continue with all the weather you want. It can batter your house. You're not going to fortify. You're not going to get stronger. You're not going to become more resilient unless you have the resources to recover and you have the resources to build your house back up. If you think about this house storm analogy, what determines how fit you'll get or how strong your house will become isn't just the degree of bad weather it's exposed to, but the quality of the repairs you make it. Okay, so there we have it with the the passage within good to go. Similar to my iceberg analogy in season one, this just has a bit more of an impact on recovery. So I thought that's a really, really nice way to um, recognize or highlight the importance of recovery. So let's get ourselves up to speed. I want to recap on episode 7, 18, 28, um, scrolling down, 59 is that it? And 79. So let's go back to the start, episode seven, which was principle number seven in our 10 universal principles, which is called stress less, the hidden dangers that reduce your capacity to adapt. And this is talking about stress. It's taking on stress, whether that be um, emotional, psychological, physical stress, <clears throat> and trying to handle those levels of stress Um particularly on the emotional, psychological side of things within that chapter. Because if you can remember, injury-prone Pete started getting knee pain when his training was exactly the same or he was training safely within his means, but he got an overuse injury because he got a job promotion, which increased his stress and reduced his sleep. And so his ability to tolerate load reduced because he was succumbed to high levels of stress and was essentially under recovering. And we have, we know the importance and the, the impact the body, the body has when it doesn't have the necessary means to recover. It hinders the ability to heal. It essentially like hinders your ability to repair your house. If we follow that analogy. So, They're the key takeaways from principle number seven. We move on to episode number 18. The title was stress and sleep in running injuries. And this 
just illustrates the uh, correlation between sleep and cortisol, which is like the, the stress hormone, and running injuries, just the link between the two. And I introduced the concept that, yes, for the general population, you need seven to eight hours, or it's recommended that you get seven or eight hours of sleep. But if you're an endurance athlete that is training harder and running longer, and let's just say you're doing, uh, you've gone from half marathon to full marathon, or you're doing ultras, the harder and longer you train, the more you need to sleep because the more recovery you need. And that's where the body enhances its recovery. So nine to 10 hours to reach full potential for an endurance athlete is definitely recommended instead of just following the normal recommendations of seven to eight hours. Sleep extension has the most important role in performance. That's what we highlight in episode 18. And we also talk about the impairments if you do get reduced sleep. So you get impairments, um, your cognitive function starts to decrease, you have fluctuating moods, you have increased stress, you have um, even muscle strength during compound movements, so running, starts to diminish. And there's even some research out there to suggest that if you reduce your sleep, yes, you're under-recovering, but also the, the cognitive and mood fluctuations can also lead you to make poor decisions when it comes to your training and could even cause you to overtrain and subject or increase your likelihood of an injury that way. And then we talk about cortisol. So cortisol is your stress hormone. It can be good in short terms. So if you need to um, run away, if you've got a source of adrenaline, if you uh, need a quick burst of energy, the cortisol circulating through the body is great. But then we kind of illustrate if you are going through, say, stress at work or stress with family or you're just worried all the time that chronic stress can be linked to increased levels of pain and widespread inflammation which isn't a good thing either and we dive into cortisol and noradrenaline a few of these hormones when we talk with dr izzy smith next episode so i'll just briefly pass on that one then we go on to episode number 28 Sleep science for runners with Dr. Amy Bender. This was a ripper. And like I said, we don't necessarily go deep into sleep throughout this season because it's already been discussed. We do touch on it. We do touch on points throughout the entire month enough for you to recognize, okay, sleep is definitely important. Uh, But I thought I'd just share some practical takeaways with my conversation with Dr. Amy Bender. And so... The first one I want to get across is the signs of good sleep habits. And so there'd be one, falling asleep within 30 minutes once your head hits the pillow. That's a good sign of a good sleep habit. Only waking up once in the night and able to go back to sleep within 20 minutes. And also you're sleeping when you are sleeping 85% of the time. Well, 85% of the time spent in bed should be sleeping. So you're not like on your phones, playing games, watching the iPad, I'm guilty. Uh, so there, there's some good sleep habits, signs of good sleep habits. The other key takeaway I wanted to get out of that conversation was that 15% are night owls, 15% are early birds, and all the rest just falls somewhere in between. So you need to almost identify what kind of sleeper you are 
and sleep within your own circadian rhythm because some can really thrive going to bed a little bit later and waking up a little bit later and having a bit of a sleep in. Um, Those early birds will thrive better if they fall asleep earlier in the night and then wake up earlier in the morning. And so it's 15%, around 15% of night owls, around 15% of early birds. And I recognize myself as a bit of an early bird. I go to sleep around about 9.30 sometimes, and then I wake up at 6. And once I wake up at 6, I'm wide awake. I'm good to go. But recognize that sometimes if I push my sleep to 10 or 10.30, I find it a big struggle trying to sleep in and then I'm just groggy the rest of the day. So recognizing that I try and get to sleep as early as I can. Another key takeaway, there was a breathing technique that she described. So the four, seven, eight, which was breathe in for four seconds, hold your breath for seven seconds and slowly breathe out for eight seconds. Repeat that four times. And what that does is activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which I will talk about when it comes to heart rate variability with Simon, but activating your parasympathetic nervous system uh, triggers rest and recovery and kind of just winds down the brain and gets it ready to start settling down. So think about that. It's kind of a cognitive like shuffle when it comes to bedtime. Writing a to-do list before bed is also helpful. And if you're still awake, if you find yourself in bed still awake after more than 30 minutes or in the middle of the night if it's more than 20 minutes you have to get up and do a task and she recommends doing some stretching in some low levels of light doing some reading in low light and then try and go back to sleep after that the best sleep position she says is on your side with a pillow between your legs and that's mainly for um, if you are sleeping on your back there is a slight chance that it could hinder your airways. So sleeping on your side is also good to get some oxygen and improve your airways. And then lastly, the last takeaway I wanted to get with this conversation with Amy Bender was napping is a great strategy for sleep extension. You'd want to go, you'd want to try and extend your sleep throughout the night, but if it's not possible, then napping is also a great secondary strategy try and get a nap in between one o'clock and four o'clock PM. That way it doesn't upset your circadian rhythm. Also the duration can be around 20 minutes, or if you want to sleep for more than 20 minutes, make sure it's around about 90 minutes. So it's kind of like those two, because if it's anywhere in between, you're going to wake up at the wrong sleep cycle and you're going to wake up feeling really groggy. and It's going to upset your circadian rhythm. So make sure if you're a quick napper, it's within the around about 20 minutes. But if you do need that sleep extension beyond that, make sure it's around 90 minutes. Hopefully that made sense. There was a, so that was Amy Bender. And there was also another passage, another um, quote in the good to go book, which highlighted the importance of sleep, which I want to share with you now. So it said, the benefits of sleep cannot be overstated. It is hands down the best recovery tool known to science. Nothing else comes close to sleep's recovery enhancing powers. You could add together every other recovery aid ever discovered and it wouldn't stack up compared to sleep. This is how we recover. This is how the body recovers. So make sure 
if you want to recover, if you want to increase your training, if you want to reduce your risk of injuries, you need to be able to bounce back from that training load that you put it through. You need to be able to recover. You need to enhance your sleep. A lot of people try um, what Shona has these like top, top tier things like these fads, like these stretching foam rollers, massage, like um, infrared saunas, all these sort of things. They're trying to do all these um, fads that, first of all, are a little bit effective. Some aren't really evidence-based, which I'll talk around with Shona. We go into a lot of detail, but it's just not worth it if you're not getting a lot of sleep. And if you could do any strategies to enhance your sleep, then you do that first. That is number one priority. So hopefully that um, gets my point across. Episode number 59 was a Q&A episode where I talk about warm-ups, stretching, and recovery tips. And I thought we'd cover this a little bit because when it comes to stretching, a lot of people think stretching, stretching does have a lot of uh, recovery components. But I've said this a couple of times, stretching doesn't do much for injury prevention, doesn't really do much for performance, and it doesn't really do much for recovery like aiding muscle soreness or reducing the window of muscle soreness doesn't really do a lot the science doesn't really show that on the topic of recovery if it feels good to do all these things if it feels good to stretch if it feels good to foam roll massage ball then definitely do it because it's going to settle down your mind you're going to unwind and there's going to be a little bit of a placebo effect in there anyway so if it doesn't work for you don't do it if it does and you get some psychological benefits out of it, if you get that stress release, then do it because we, we do want to reduce your levels of stress, which is another theme throughout this month. Uh, so hopefully this all ties in. In the book, Good to Go, I'm going to be referencing this a lot. Uh, there was a contributor called David Martin, and he said when it comes to these sort of devices uh, that the most popular recovery modalities, they actually work by exploiting the placebo effect. So this is massage guns, foam rollers, massage balls, like all those, um, all those products that people sell. But he doesn't say, he doesn't say that this is the reason to dismiss them just because there's a placebo effect. You can still implement them. And he says, on the contrary, you should use this as an opportunity to exploit the, uh, placebo effect instead of calling it placebo and the negative stigma that's associated with it. People think that if it's if it's just a placebo effect, then it doesn't do anything. But on the contrary, he said, use this as an opportunity. And instead of calling it a placebo effect, you should call it a belief effect because the effects are very real and in some cases can be just as powerful as uh, many drugs that are out there. Keep that in mind. If it's, if it's working for you, definitely still continue doing it. And the same can be said on the opposite side, the nocebo. The, if you are continuously foam rolling and you're not seeing any benefit and you don't like it, don't do it <laughs> because you're just wasting your time and you should be utilizing that time for more uh, beneficial strategies, ones that are more evidence-based or ones that you do get a lot of stress relief or do notice a benefit from which then takes me into episode number 79, the last one we're going to talk about today, which is the good and bad of massage therapy with Alice Sanvito. And we do cover a fair bit when it comes to placebo on that episode. 
I think foam rollers, massage balls, those devices do kind of fit in the same realm as massage therapy. So some key takeaways from that episode, do not hold strong beliefs that massage is releasing trigger points or increasing blood flow, removing lactic acid, releasing muscle knots. The science just doesn't show up. And when it comes to the physiology, the physiological effects of massage, it just doesn't follow science. But also one of the key messages in that episode is we don't want to fall into the trap of constantly relying on massage, it becoming a a frequent mandatory um, ritual that you have to go through in order to recover. If someone's telling you that you need to go back for massage once a week or a couple times a month because you need to, because it restores the body, aligns the body, increases the blood flow, helps with recovery, don't fall into that narrative. Make sure that you um, are getting your massages that is 100% voluntary. If you want to go get a massage a couple of times a week because you feel great afterwards and because you want to feel those effects, then definitely, definitely do it. But um, what gets me a little bit agitated is someone who is injured and wants to recover and wants to get back to running and someone has told them that they need adjustments and they need massage several times a week in order to recover and then they're doing no long-term strategies. Um, They're not coupling it with any long-term strategies like strength and conditioning or like proper scientific um, rehab strategies. So don't fall victim to that. Don't fall into that trap is one of the key takeaways with that episode. However, if massages, they can have a powerful effect when it comes to unwinding and being mental rest um, towards recovery because we do know that decreasing your level of stress helps the body recover. And so if you find massages are beneficial and you just feel good afterwards and it feels like a good mental release and it's time away from work, time away from family, time off your feet, and you're just getting an it's settling down a lot of anxiety and you're feeling like you're unwound. Definitely do it for a, a recovery tool. But just keep in mind those points I made earlier. Don't fall into certain traps. So that's a takeaway with Alessand Vito. So now we are all up to speed around recovery. Uh, just a quick little recap. I'll just go all the way up. Um, where are we at? Okay, so I've already talked about the... Uh, guests we have coming up. Make sure we recognize the importance of recovery. Recovery is fortifying your house after a bout of exercise. After the wind blows out some windows, recovery is fortifying those windows with something stronger. Same with exercise. When we go from running 5Ks to running 7Ks, we're just the elements are slightly increased and we repair and get stronger. Make sure that we're taking, we recognize the level of stress throughout the day, increased levels of stress, decreased levels of of sleep. This reduces or inhibits our ability to recover. The more exercise you do, the more sleep you need, the more sleep extension, the more napping and uh, reducing ways we can reduce stress levels. These are all really, really important when it comes to recovery. Don't really need to talk about the Amy Bender's practical tips when it comes to sleep habits and sleep strategies. Make sure if you do have um, devices or 
products when it comes to recovery and releasing stretching make sure it feels good to you if you want to do it and yeah and then just those tips around massage so i am super excited to bring you these next presenters i we delve into some really exciting topics we delve deeper into the some of the things we brushed on today i like i said I have I was surprised with how much I learned throughout these episodes and listening and interviewing a lot of these um, researchers and guests that I have on. And I'll finish off this episode by another quote from Good to Go. I have um, done it several times already. It says, any fool can train more. It takes courage to rest. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Run Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content has on your future running. If you appreciate the mission this podcast is creating, it would mean a lot to me if you submit a rating and review. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and get instant notifications when a new episode comes out. If you want to learn quicker, then join our Facebook group by searching the podcast title. If you want to take your learning to the next step, including injury prevention principles, injury-specific insights, and modules to boost your running performance, then head to our website by searching runsmarter.online and jump into our Run Smarter online course. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.